Welcome. This is an episode that transparently is overdue. My name is Nadia Felsch. I'm an anti-diet nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counsellor. And in this podcast, we explore the practical aspects of leaving the diet mentality behind and finding your own food and body freedom. So in this episode, we are going to explore why health, quote unquote, is BS. You have possibly seen me use air quotes when referencing the term health on social media. Maybe you've heard me on this podcast say something like whatever that means. And potentially the reasons why are not clear to you. You are not alone in that. And understanding why health is BS is integral to your own liberation around food, your body, and your well-being. So let's dive in. Consider what you picture when you think about the term, the word health. So what is it and what isn't it? What are you associating with this word, with health? For example, your weight, how you eat, how you exercise, maybe how you look, maybe a combination It's really likely that these are the messages that you've received about what health is and therefore that you've internalized. You know, before and after photos, green juices, not eating fast food. The narrative that we have had reiterated over a lifetime from all kinds of different places that lays out some version of the following and feels realistic, it feels normalized, and and that goes something like, if you want to feel better, lose some weight, eat some vegetables, right? That's, that's what feels so, yeah, that's health. And I invite you to consider what this narrative therefore is really stating. I'll give you a moment to reflect here. So if the narrative that we've internalized, and again, is pretty much everywhere we go, including healthcare appointments, If that narrative is what has us buying into the idea that when we experience a sense of something in our body that we don't like, it's uncomfortable, it's scary, that we act by doing this thing with food, this thing with food, maybe we lose weight, maybe we try to move our bodies more. Or on the other hand, maybe we can avoid those feelings, those experiences, if we do said actions with food, with weight, with, with movement. So what I'm, what I'm trying to encourage you to consider here is what does that narrative really say then? And it might, it might possibly be really hard for you to see because it's all we've ever known. That's what, that's what health is. And that therefore what it really is saying, if it's not clear and that's okay, What it says is that health and how to get health is absolutely in your control and it is important that you are trying to actively control it. And this ideology, this belief system has a name and another name that you might have heard me use and that is healthism. So this is the idea that health, and and I want to kind of be clear, health with a very limited definition, we'll come back to that, that that is under your individual control. And if you're a good person, if you're a good member of society, you'll control it. You won't let yourself go, as the very problematic term or, or phraseology says. Healthism also very critically intersects with anti-fatness, 
which was created by colonialism, therefore by white supremacy culture. And this is where we're taught to assume, and this is the intersection, right? We're taught to assume anyone in a fat body mustn't be healthy, mustn't be trying in whatever that means, and that that is all very socially unacceptable, which is why fat people are shamed. But also pick a side, you know, are they meant to go to the gym or do they not belong in a gym? right? This is this intersection and it's absolutely important that we kind of make a quick note here. Being fat wasn't an issue for human society until relatively recently, a few hundred years ago. And and it was as a means to justify the transatlantic slave trade. Really, truly hear that again. So this is because body size became the focused difference between black bodies, between brown bodies, and between white bodies. And where the latter, the white bodies, having had, you know, the supposed superior everything, the superior bodies, so therefore it was acceptable to oppress anyone else for your own gain as as a white person, as someone in a white body. That is how it started. Let's look at the differences and let's make that difference a problem. If you've ever heard myself or anyone else reference the BMI as being racist in its origins and its use today, this is where the roots of that lie and and really all all anti-fatness has the roots here. So if you want to dive in more, I invite you to dive in more to this because this is a big part of the piece is why of the piece of why health is BS. I invite you to check out Fearing the Black Body by Sabrina Strings, PhD. This is a must-read book to these origins and to more powerfully joining these dots for yourself. You'll find the link in the notes for this episode. So we have ended up with internalizing a very limited, I said I'd come back to this, a very limited reductionist and harmful message about health, quote unquote, but one that couldn't actually be further from reality. And this is for two reasons. So one, health is complex. And two, its complexity actually lies in its dynamicness with influences far beyond your weight, what you eat and how you move. All the lies we've always been told about, that's what it is and and that's all that it is. These influences to your outcomes of your health for all humans are what we call the social determinants of health. Again, this is something I've talked about on the pod before and where only 36% of these different determinants or influences are actually under individual control. So you might be interested in what some of these are. So these include your level of optimism, you, you know, your hopefulness, how much you participate in risky behaviors. So for instance, do you own a gun? Do you use guns? Yes, that is part of your influence of health how much stress you have, how how you manage that stress, the quality of your sleep, how much you use drugs and alcohol, your dietary patterns, your physical activity patterns. So these are part of what are considered under individual control. And I invite you to notice here that weight is not something that is actually considered an individual determinant of health because it is considered to be genetic or biological of an influence to health, as opposed to one that is directly under your control. But I think it's critical in in this discussion, often it's left out. So it's critical that we also consider that those influences that I mentioned are under, or we consider them to be under individual control. They are not always. So they are impacted by the level of privilege someone holds. So if you're facing medical fat phobia, if you have food insecurity, if you have polluted water, you're facing racism, 
These systemic oppressions, because that's what they are, will impact your stress levels, your sleep quality, your dietary pattern. So put another way, everything influences everything and the impacts to your health outcomes are therefore dynamic. Your genetics, your age, your gender, your access to medical care, income level, social support, these also influence your health outcomes. They are obviously not under individual control. In her incredible book, The Body is Not an Apology, The Power of Radical Self-Love, Sonia Renee Taylor writes, and I quote, there is no standard of health that is achievable for all bodies. Our belief that there should be anchors the systemic oppression of ableism and reinforces the notion that people with illnesses and disabilities have defective bodies rather than different bodies, end quote. That's another link to that book that I will put in the show notes. So we can also expand this, this incredible um, extract from, from Sonia's book to include all systemic oppression as well as ableism. That's another form of oppression. The version of health that we have had shown to us, no matter who you are, over and over and over our whole lives looks one way. It's white, it's thin, it's attractive according to patriarchal standards, it's glowing, it's able-bodied, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So even if we've not been conscious of that, and that might speak to our privilege, it is reality and it's harmful. One of the major criticisms that, you know, many individuals, including myself, actually have of the health at every size perspective, and I've talked about that over a previous episode in, in, some, in some senses. So one of these major criticisms is that it actually at the moment in its current form doesn't really challenge this nuance that I've just spoken to. And I'm really proud to say that the, the Association of Size, Diversity and Health that I am a member of is actively working to challenge this limit. But for now, the Hayes approach still is centering that pursuing health which I would offer is, is pretty limited in its definition, is still important. So, you know, put another way, it's like it's okay as long as you're healthy or you're trying. And without the definition of healthy being very well-defined and holistic enough or accessible to a heap of people, because, again, social determinants of health, oppression, you know, these really big systemic aspects of our society, health is BS, for example, we've internalized desiring weight loss because of anti-fatness and because weight is tied up in quote-unquote health, also acceptance, not being stigmatized, and these are all valid and worthy of exploration, but that doesn't make them about health. For example, Ozempic is a drug approved in Australia for use in folks with type 2 diabetes. And there are doctors who prescribe this drug for weight loss. So I want to be clear, they are prescribing it to people who do not have type 2 diabetes, which is what it is approved for use for in Australia. This drug has considerable adverse impacts to health and well-being that doctors know about, they hear about, they are published on on the access that all of us health professionals can see the impacts of these drugs. My last client to take this drug was asked at her reviews, not how she felt on it, not about the adverse impacts, not about her general well-being, her mental health, none of that. She was only asked one question, how much weight have you lost? 
what she was experiencing was actually very significant digestive disturbances to the point that she couldn't eat certain foods without feeling sick. She wasn't able to eat enough in one sitting. This is all, by the way, part of how the drug works. But this also meant she had to have more food around her. She had to eat more frequently, not to mention how unwell she felt. This was a small nightmare, but this is health, right? Because we're trying to lose weight and we're being so great. Not surprisingly, this this drug had a a really big focus on a global scale and, and because of being marketed for weight loss, but AKA marketed as health. So in November 2022, the manufacturer of this drug, Novo Nordisk, informed the TGA in Australia, that's our therapeutic goods administration, that Ozempic will not be available in Australia from November until the end of March this year, 2023. So people who really need this drug, maybe, can't get it. So with all of this, how could we ever expect to divest from weight loss at all costs and equaling that to health. When a doctor who we trust recommends a drug for weight loss, despite it not being approved for that use in Australia, despite it carrying significant side effects, which are unhealthy, but they call this health and we trust that. In short, we don't even aim for health. We're taught to aim for unrealistic and elitist dietary patterns, for example. We're taught to aim for unrealistic and harmful body ideals. We're taught one supposed right way to care for our bodies that mostly is not very fucking caring at all. We are not supported how we need to be. So for example, what if, what would it be like? What might it do to our health outcomes as individuals if we didn't all have to work so damn much just to survive? And then we feel so, so overwhelmed from that. We feel so bent out that we can't really often do much else. This is something I hear about from clients all the time. But we have learned to see that as us being lazy, us being unhealthy. For many of us, the so-called picture of health isn't possible. If we're not white, if we're not thin, if we're not able-bodied, if, if we live with chronic illness, for instance, this is not possible. And again, it actually isn't even health that we are taught to aim for. It's a harmful illusion. Nor should it be necessary to pursue health or being healthy especially by these narrow definitions that we're given in order to be enough in society, to be worthy of care and respect, because you are enough, that's a full sentence, full stop, you are enough. So if you are exploring what it is to pursue health to you as an individual, I invite you to consider the concept of health-promoting behaviours, for example, getting adequate, quality, consistent sleep, Why doesn't that get focused on, I wonder? Why doesn't that get celebrated? There are health-promoting behaviors that absolutely can support how you feel both short-term, both long-term, and they can reduce the risk of chronic disease that we all face as humans. However, health is complex, remember, and it's multifaceted and dynamic. So it's vital to acknowledge that health outcomes are never guaranteed. Put another way, your behavior around food or, or really any, in, any individual behavior that you participate in is not a guarantee you won't develop chronic disease or that you will cure one you already have. I invite you to consider health-promoting living. For instance, like regularly eating satisfying food, having a radical self-care practice, learning to regulate your emotions, filling up your cup and feeling fulfilled. 
connected to other humans in meaningful ways and having support around you as just a few elements of what it might be to pursue health. As health really being about you and what's possible, what's interesting and what's valuable to you. And this is why inside my 12-week food freedom program, I guide you step-by-step to unlearn diet culture and embrace freedom with food and your body by joining the dots to how we got here and what alternative supportive paths are available to you when we're talking about health. It's actually why there's an entire module inside called Redefining Health and Wellbeing. Inside Food Freedom, you will be exposed to the evidence-based frameworks of intuitive eating and non-diet nutrition, which I root in an intersectional, anti-oppressive and client-centered lens. So this means from the very beginning, You and I, we're going to name the systemic structures that got us here, that uphold these problematic ideas of diet culture that keep us stuck. We will lay the blame where it belongs, not with you, and prioritize for you to be able to nourish your body even whilst you are living in oppressive systems, because that's my commitment to being an anti-oppressive healthcare provider. All of the program modules and all of my coaching is trauma-informed, neurodiversity affirming and weight inclusive. And because of my privileges and limited lived experience of marginalization, this program was intentionally created with a focus on intersectional lived experience-led learning, mentoring, and training. So the voices and perspectives that I center that inform my own and, and provide me a wider perspective All are again about my commitment to providing anti-oppressive healthcare. Also that you walk away with a transformed relationship to food, health, and your body. To learn more about the Food Freedom Program and join the January 2023 cohort, plus to check out the links and notes from this episode, head to my website, nadiafelsch.com forward slash podcast. You can also check the link in your podcast player. Thank you for joining me. I'll see you next time.